just wanted to um, uh, say hello to our online community. So those are people watching on YouTube or Facebook live right now, and some will be watching later than live. Many more will be watching later than live. But there are at least six or seven nations who commented that they're watching from Austria or the United States or Somalia uh, or Mauritius or I forget one or two, Germany. I'm going to get into trouble. Um, And then also those who are watching on Facebook as well as our Kingfisher FM radio listeners who will be uh, listening rather. And then those who listen to the podcast, making up more than 5,000 people in the next 24 hours will be part of this conversation and part of the service. Could the in-person please say hello to the online? That would be amazing. And then also to uh, say, praise the Lord for more rain. It is becoming harder and harder for the pessimists. They post less now, I see, uh, as the dam levels rise. And I am believing that the seven-year drought is done. And then more than seven years of more than enough (laughs) has begun. Um, So uh, excited for that. And then, of course, uh, usually an evening service comment, but uh, prayers and best wishes and Godspeed to our students and the matrics who are writing the last of their exams and ending off their first semester and uh, are going on holiday. Uh, we, We wish you God's best. Amen. We have been in a conversation over the last two weeks about the predictable parables. And I was hopeful, and I think we've, we've been able to not make them predictable, but make them practical. And today, I'm going to talk to you about the fifth one. I know you may seem like you've skipped a few, but that's because I've been doing one in the morning, one at night. It's sort of a trick, you know, to try to get you to catch up. I'm sort of creating homework here. One in the morning, one at night. And and today, this morning, I uh, want to talk to you about the fifth parable um, on our series, Principles from the Parables. Now, when you meet somebody and you're trying to find out a bit about who they are, you can ask a series of questions. One of the questions you might ask is, what field are you in? That's usually a career question, sort of what, what kind of business do you do? What's your sort of your sphere? You might ask them, what field are you in? Well, today I'm going to talk to you about the parable of the sower, but from the perspective of what field are you in? Now, of course, it's also humorous that if somebody is a bit confused, we might say they're in the bush. That might be a local way of defining the worst condition of a field is a bush. Can we just have a, I don't, I don't nod, the person in the bush might be in the seat next to you. But there is a lot of conversation in Scripture about this topic. In fact, there are at least, according to ChatGTP, five, was that too far? Five parables about fields. And we will touch on one or two of them this morning. But I very especially want to have this conversation on what it looks like to define what your field is and what the condition of your field is. The field being the sphere or territory that God has placed you in. And then I want to really lean into how secure it is, lean into who's allowed in, whether you've got trespasses, whether you've tended to it, how productive a field is, and who the Lord of the harvest is. 
Amen? It's easy to use that kind of terminology for them out there somewhere. But they're personal. The parables are deeply personal. So, by way of reminder, and now with that context, let's read it. Matthew chapter 13 from the NIV, a real Bible, says, Excuse me. Uh, The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance, but whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. It seems like a strange introduction to the a whole section about parables. It seems like some people get more from God than others. But really what Jesus is saying is not to stop people from having abundance, but to say it's a secret and secrets have to be discovered and secrets have to be uh, applied. And if you read everything superficially, you don't find the secret. And there are a lot of superficial Christians. When when I say Christians are superficial, I mean like they live superficially. I mean they read superficially. I mean a person might read a scripture that simply says that Jesus is Lord and not pause for a moment to say, but is He Lord for me? So superficial is not like your language, although it can be. Superficial is not like your appearance, although it can be. Superficial is not like you say one thing and you act another thing. I mean, there's a lot to be said about. Superficial is you read it and you didn't see in it the secret that God was spiritually imparting for your success. Amen? So don't be shallow, be spiritual. Okay, so I am into that. Otherwise, I mean, you just glance over it. So I wanted to define parables. I know I'm in week three and I'm only defining it now. I'm a slow learner. It's, it says, the parable is a riddle revealing a roadmap to a reward. Amen? Parable is a riddle revealing a roadmap to a reward. Have you ever wondered, Lord, if there's some kind of way I can unriddle my own life? There's some kind of way I can do that. There is a remarkable, life has a remarkable way of meshing and entangling things. In fact, in one passage of Scripture, the Bible encourages us that those who go about their commander-in-chief's business do not entangle themselves in civilian affairs. Civilian affairs, you know, sometimes now as I, as I get more mature in my faith, I listen to people and I think, oh, that's just civilian, that's not spiritual. Civilian affairs is to get caught up in stuff that's not spiritual and unfruitful, and it just messes your day. And if you're spiritually aware, you can untangle it, and you can put a barrier or a boundary, and it'll stop it from invading your life. And then some people treat their spiritual lives a little bit like the, you know, the now famous man draw. That place in your house where you just throw everything and you know it's there, but you wouldn't quite know exactly or how to find it. You have a memory of it being there, but you don't have a meaningful application for it. So it just lives there. And a lot of people's lives and Bibles and prayer life, it's in a drawer, you know it's there. You have a meaningful memory of it, but it doesn't apply at the moment. Okay, that was too much. I felt it. I felt I'd gone too far. So I'm just going to take a step back and go easy and then go back into this. Can you say amen to that? Um, I I just wanted to commend you for a few things and then ask a huge favour. Am I allowed to do that? 
Am I being streamed into other churches right now? Okay, so I can, I can, I can say that. Okay, okay. So um, I wanted to commend you. Most of my pastor friends, pastors who run churches, have stopped streaming a long time ago because they wanted to get people back in the room. I just want to say that we think online church is just as important as in person, not as a substitute, but as an outreach. It's a net cast out into the ocean to touch people's lives, and I'm grateful for that. Can you say amen to that? And also, you want to clap for that? That's capable. And also, most of my pastor friends have long ago returned the offering basket, you know, because, you know, the human condition, you sort of, if it's in front of you, you do it, and if it isn't, you don't. But I just want to commend you for not having an out of sight, out of mind mindset, but being great uh, as, as supporters of the faith in a practical way uh, that we don't need to do that kind of a thing here. So uh, from a team, we want to say thank you to you for doing that. And then if like a dad, I could ask you to do just one thing. I mean, if there's just one thing I could ask you to do. Okay, so parable of the sower. Should I go for it? Should I ask one thing? It would be really cool if like the, you came a little earlier. Okay, so the parable of the sower, uh, by way of reminder, uh, Matthew 13 continues, a farmer went out to sow seeds. Now remember, we're reading it not from the perspective of the seed, but from the perspective of the field. What field are you in? As he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plant, plants were scorched, and they withered because they just had no root. Other seeds fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still others fell on good soil, which um, it produced, where it produced a crop 160, uh, 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. So the conversation this morning is about my responsibility to the field. Sometimes we read this parable uh, and many parables in the Bible uh, with the idea of it's an inevitable fate. In other words, oh well, I happen to be rocky ground or oh well, that person just happens to be shallow ground or oh well, that person just happens to have thorns and thistles in their lives. But I wanted to encourage you today that this verse is not an explanation for your situation. It's a weapon for your victory. It's a weapon for your victory. If you can uproot the weeds, you will grow a good crop. If you can remove the stones or rocks uh, in the ground, you will produce a good product. If you can stop having so much traffic going through your life that it is just a pathway rather than a planting, then good stuff can happen in your life. Can you say amen? See, there are a lot of us, in all of, all of us, it, it, it counts for all of us. You, you've got so much traffic, you're going this way, then that way, this one's in your life, then they're out your life, then the faith is in, then the faith is out, and then the X is back, and the X is gone, and the X is coming, and the other X met the other X. It's just a, 
That was a lot. There was a lot going on in that sentence. I don't know who Jesus needed that for, but there was just so much going on that here's the pastor every Sunday and he's just looking for a gap to sow a seed of faith. Whoa, sorry, somebody stood on that. Here's the seed of encouragement. Oh, boy, somebody stood on that. The birds of the air come and take it away. And then you step back and you say, you know, I don't think this thing works. There's nothing wrong with the seed. You're just in the wrong field or you've got the wrong quality field, or you're in the bush. And there's a duty on us that as the, the seed is so, the seed being the Word of God, so it is explained later. The Word of God and the life of God and the Spirit of God is so powerful. Just give it a reasonable condition. Just give it a reasonable condition and watch what happens. And um, I, I think the lesson of the parable of the sower is often forgotten because we focus so much on the seed and the product and we forget the conditions of the field. So I, I, I wanted to continue to reiterate this idea of asking you what field are you in? This idea of fields is not listed only in the New Testament. It's all over the place, from the Old Testament to the New. I mean, technically Eden was a field, right? But all the way through Scripture, there's, there's this comparative discussion. I love Proverbs 24. When Mike started reading out of the Psalms and Proverbs, I thought, we're going to read the same stuff. The Proverbs 24 verse 30, a very powerful, punchy scripture. It says this, I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds and the stone wall was ruined. I applied my heart to what I observed and I learned to lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. What a powerful passage of Scripture. See, that passage of Scripture would have been common knowledge. It's, the, it's, the, it's what Jesus would have referred to when He said, you know, you know the problem with some fields? The seed is good. The problem with some fields is that, that they, you let it fall apart. You know, that stone wall is actually quite a pretty illustration. Um, and I live on a mountain full of rock. So every time I make this joke, every time I, have to, I want to plant like a tree where I want it, I've got to get a jackhammer and cut open like in the stone and plant it and get a bit of soil there. It's pretty much like that. Otherwise, I've got to just plant trees wherever there's soil, you know, which is very haphazard for my slightly OCD tendency. It's very slight OCD tendency. Not a lot, just slight. Uh, I use a tape measure. But... <clears throat> but here's how a wall would be built. So when somebody got a field to plant, they bought it or inherited it, you would go through the field and you would find all the stones. Then you would take the stones out and you put them on the perimeter of the field as a protection against snakes and foxes and thieves and goats and people who didn't know where their boundaries were. Right? And you know what this verse is saying? You didn't care anymore. You let people throw stones in the field. Yeah. You let the wall fall apart. Yeah, come in. A little slumber, a little sleep, a little folding of the arms. And poverty comes upon you. Poverty isn't, you know, we have a tendency in the Western world to define poverty as financial. But poverty is not primarily financial. In Scripture, poverty is emotional, spiritual. Poverty is identity and character. Uh, uh, in fact, the whole of Proverbs is about how don't be deceived. Gold you can, you can get again, but a good name you can't. 
And I, I, I think we have to, you know, we just, we, we have to take the stones out the field and, uh, and put them back. In fact, uh, I, I forget in, in which um, of the five, uh, um, first five books of the Bible, there is a curse. Um, oh gosh, I should find it. Um, there is a curse in one of them that says that if you do not follow and obey the Lord your God, then your enemies will come and throw stones on your fields. That's a curse. It's just like this field will be unfruitful. Throw stones on your fields. I, I, I want to encourage you today as we um, find practical applications for the par- parables that you uh, uh, consider that the first plot of land you ever owned is spiritual. The earth number is John three sixteen. Take possession. Clean the field. Put a wall up. Don't fold your arms and say, I'll get to it later. Because when you do, the thorns and thistles will spring up and destroy your asset. Can you say amen to that? Phew, the rain is coming on the field, amen? Apparently it's going to rain all the way till Friday. Is that true? Is that, what it's, is that the plan? Thank you, Lord. May it rain after this service. Then just a little gap for the 6 p.m. because the saints... Um, so, so I want to extract, if I may, in the 10 minutes I have, I'd, I'd like to extract four principles from fields in the Bible on how to manage your internal real estate well. That's mental real estate, emotional real estate, and more importantly, spiritual real estate. I find it absolutely amazing that people brag about their depreciating assets and hide their appreciating assets. And an appreciating asset is, is character. An appreciating asset is moral integrity and spiritual connection. Amen. And we've got to value those. In Matthew chapter 13, when Jesus is asked to explain the parable, he says this, I'll I'll try, I mean, it's known, but I want to get to a punchline. Listen then to the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their hearts. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, They last only a short time when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, uh, uh, choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word, understands it, that this is the one who produces a crop yielding 160, 30 times what was sown. I wanted to say the punchline, there are many out of that, Um, explanation. But for this morning's purpose, I wanted to reiterate that when you want to manage your internal real estate well, that quality produces quantity. Quantity does not necessarily produce quality. Can you say amen to that? I love it when people say, you know, I'm not part of one church. I'm part of a few churches. In fact, I'm part of the universal church of Jesus. All right, Saint Settle down. That's to to me that is equivalent to someone saying, like this is going to sound awful, but like it's going to sound terrible. 
I'm just giving you a heads up. But because, so just in, like for a second, like we are the bride of Christ. So, so when somebody says something, it's like saying, uh, I love all the women. I don't want to settle on one. Like snap out of it. They don't all love you. So, <laughs> was that too much? Okay, I'll take that back. Can we delete it? Just to pretend that was like a little slip into the like unsafe thinking. But I, I, I think it's vital that we, we, you know, quantity, be careful by what quality each man builds. And it is, it is one of the uh, essentials of the faith that when we manage our internal, our internal life that, that we value quality first. But it's not an excuse to never produce quantity. It's not an excuse to never produce quantity. You see, sometimes we say it's the one or the other. But let me tell you what this verse says. If you have the one, you'll get the other. If you've got quality, quality begets quantity. If you've got a quality business, you'll end up with a lot of business. Because that's the order in which God builds things. And I want to encourage you to be mindful of that. So number one, quality produces quantity. We should not fear it. Amen? We shouldn't fear it. I love the season of our church at the moment where not only are we building, but we're building well, we're building smarter, better, we're building with quality, we're producing quality, we're having quality conversations. But I'm just going to warn you that at any day now, quality is going to produce quantity. And when quantity happens, you must always go back and say, Lord, keep the field clean so that we do well in raising well, in building well. We won't despise it. We'll receive it. Can you say amen to that? We'll receive it really well. Um, uh, and, and, and trust God with it. Number two, um, uh, on, um, on how to manage real estate, emotional, spiritual real estate. Matthew 13 goes on. By the way, Matthew 13 is the chapter on parables about fields. Like Luke 15 is the chapter about parables about things lost the lost coin and the lost son and so forth, they're all in there. This chapter, so if you, I don't know if that's useful to you. Make a note. Do, you make, do we make notes? Is that a thing? Make a mental note. Matthew 13, 24 says, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sows good seed in his field. And while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. This passage of Scripture, the parable, goes on to say, don't try to pull the one out because you'll ruin the other. Let them grow together and God will sort it out on the last day. Knowing and sowing isn't always good growing. Knowing and sowing isn't always good growing. Let me tell you what I mean by that. It's messy. Stuff's messy. You may have to tell your girlfriend that you're a church person and that conversation might get messy. You may have to sit down and rework your budget because you're becoming a spiritual giver. That might get messy. You might have to draw a line and say, I'm not allowing this in my life anymore. You might have to get off your Wi-Fi, YouTube thing to avoid uh, exposure to certain things, it gets messy. What you have to recognise is that even following after God and doing God's things includes a bunch of stuff in your life that you just have to manage and trust God. Simply put, stop waiting for perfect before you'll do practical. Get practical. 
and God will make it perfect. Do you see what I mean? My faith is not perfected. Paul himself said, I am not yet made perfect, but I pursue, I follow after. But I put into practice. And as I put it into practice, he perfects what is imperfect in me. As I stumble, he raises me up. As I fail, he is my, the lifter of my head. Uh, I, I put it into practice and then he makes it whole. You start a relationship, even when things aren't all perfect, and Jesus fixes it. You join a church even when it isn't perfect and Jesus makes it something. We're getting the order wrong and it's not good for our hearts because you're going to freeze in a way. You're going to uh, uh, be paralyzed into inactivity. So I wanted to uh, encourage you. Take a step, amen? And then let him perfect the step. And I think it becomes essential for us to do that. The third thing about managing spiritual real estate comes also from Matthew 13. This is easy. It's just literally one chapter. Matthew 13, there's one more. Matthew 13, 31 says, He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. In the first parable, the sower is God. In this one, you are planting a little seed. Do you know, I need to tell you, it's time to plant seeds in your life. And what this means is little steps. The spiritual secret is to start small. That's the spiritual secret. Let me tell you how many times personally, and I've been in the faith a long time, and I've been in ministry a long time. Let me tell you how many times I kick myself for making unrealistic claims to myself. I say to myself, I did this the other day. I was like, George, wake up. I did this the other day. I will devote the first hour of the morning to just listening to worship. Sounds like a great plan. Guys, an hour is long, eh? I'm just putting it out there. While you're having a laugh, I see Mikey Burton there. I think you got engaged the other day. Didn't you guys get engaged the other day? No, not, um, not Mike. I see, um, oh, I'm sorry. I won't embarrass you any further. I mean, Mike did get engaged too. All the rugby players are getting engaged at the same time. Congratulations on your engagement. Uh, do you want to clap for the engagements? Uh, I said to myself, one hour, I'm awake at 4.30 every day. Surely from 4.30 to 5.30, I can leave it in God's hands. After two songs. I'm just being completely honest. Two songs are about seven minutes each. That's 14 minutes. I looked at the next song on the playlist. It was nine minutes long. I was like, Lord, would it be okay if while we're listening to worship, we also made coffee, maybe. <laughs> Would that be okay? And then eventually I realized, wait, let's, let's free myself from the one hour and say 10 minutes. Let's start a small seed. But then one day I found a song I really liked and I had play again and play again and play again. And the hour happened like this. And I realized, start small and see the reward. 
Stop setting unrealistic spiritual goals and then beating yourself up for not achieving those goals and then setting no goal, putting no plan in place, sowing no seed into the soil of your future. I... What I want in my life in the future is going to come from what I'm putting into it now. And I realized I just got to pace myself. Then I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll listen to 10 minutes of worship and then I'll listen to a book in the Bible from the Bible app audio. That's a great goal. Unless it starts in Exodus. Like you can't do Exodus in one. Like you can't. Like small wins, so I chose Jude. (laughs) Now only the Christians are laughing because they know Jude. Jude has 24 verses in it. It's finished in 46 seconds. And then I say to myself, I listened to a whole, a whole, a whole book of the Bible today. And two whole songs. That was the flowest yay I've ever... But you might sound, that seems... So what must I... You know, start giving 50 bucks at a time. Start praying two minutes at a time. Start listening shortest book to longest book at a time. Start encouraging one person a week. One a month. Don't go out there and say, well, it isn't working. Start here and move your way across. That's part of taking care of the real estate of your life. I have one more. Matthew 13 verse 44 says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Finding and owning aren't the same. Finding and owning aren't the same. I've always been bothered. I'm going to wrap up with this power, hopefully a power punch one. Uh, Finding and owning aren't the same thing. I've always been troubled by that verse in the Bible that Many are called, but few are chosen. That verse bothers me. There's also another verse that bothers me about narrow is the way. Broad, you know, to heaven. Broad is the way, the other way. And what is this to bother me? You know, because the next verse says, uh, uh, many, 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 um, many uh, 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 follow it, but, but, but few find it. Narrows the gate. What, what's that all like? It seems a bit cruel to me. It seems a bit cruel that it looked like some were looking for it but didn't find it. It looked like somebody were, were walk, were, some people were walking on that road and didn't get through the gate. But I've realized what it is. It is not because God closed the gate. It is because there is a generation of people who find something and like it but won't buy it. they window shopping Christians. They go to church life or they look at the Bible and go, how pretty is that? How amazing is that? How awesome is that? But don't buy into it. Narrow 
wide. The few and the many. I wondered in conclusion, why would he hide it? If he found a treasure, why would he hide it? I think that's the starting point of recognizing this is valuable. And you don't just put valuable stuff out there for people to trod all over. What did Mary do concerning Jesus? Every time Mary, his mother, heard a testimony or a prophecy about Jesus, the Bible says she hid these things in her heart. Owning, not just knowing, begins when you hide something in your heart to be true above all else. And then from hiding it in your heart, you buy it with all of your soul and you live what you buy. Have you ever listened to someone and thought, I don't buy that? I mean, it sounds right, but I'm not buying it. I mean, I'm not going to change my decision or my action or my eating habits. I'm not buying it. Do you know how many things... I find on YouTube and I don't believe. Finding is the easy part. If I hear one more person tell me about one more thing I need to do once you get over 50, I don't know why the algorithm thinks it's necessary to tell me, stop wearing this after 50. Stop eating that after 50. When I get to 50, I'll let you know. (laughs) Never wear white shoes. Ta-da. There's one YouTuber burning his treadmill, literally on fire. Never run on a treadmill again. Like, you should see me. I will go from what I am to a pair in a few days, to in a few days if I burn the treadmill. I'm just telling you, that's going to happen. Finding it and believing it are not the same thing. People find the verse. No man can enter the kingdom of heaven except they are born again. They look at it. Like you look at something that is lovely. You say to yourself, That sounds lovely. You say to your friends, isn't that a lovely verse? I now know at least one verse. Until you hide it in your heart. And until from there you sell all your other philosophies to own that one, you are not born again. And you have a field with nothing growing on it. Narrow is the way. Many are called. Few. I mean, if I was brave enough, I would say, I wish it said, many are called, but few choose it. Is that as holy a moment as we can? So I wonder if you would stand with me because I have a prayer in mind for us. It's been our goal to um, give ourselves a couple of minutes at the end of every service to pray a prayer. And I wondered if this morning's prayer would be to ask God to help us be good stewards of the field we're in. When somebody asks you what field are you in or you hear that phrase, think of it in a different way. Let it be a reminder to you that the field you're in 
is spiritual as much as it is professional, academic or career or relationship. Think about it in that kind of way. And then let's invite the Holy Spirit to help us maintain the quality of that field. I was looking for the verse, it's in Isaiah 5. Isaiah 5 verse 1 tells a story of how God works with us, that God gave us a field. He took all the stones out, built a wall around it, and it even says built a watchtower and created a threshing floor. Oh, I like that. Someday I should preach about that. A watchtower to see what God is saying and to watch what your enemy is doing and a threshing floor to turn the product into something useful. But I, I want to encourage you to, uh, this morning that we acknowledge that that's what God has done for us and then to be faithful or loyal stewards. And then we'll congratulate Josh and his fiance at the end of the service. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit. Thank you, Lord, for wisdom. This morning, Lord, we rebuke the sluggard's spirit. The folding of the hands and hoping it'll all work out. The chilling and waiting for a better day to get it done without realizing that's all our enemy needed. No, we too will learn the lesson of Proverbs 24. We too will walk away and say, we will not slumber and we will not sleep, but that we will with great haste work while it is day and see a great fruit produced. Holy Spirit, will you please teach us to be great stewards, great stewards of the real estate you've put in our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for the parable of the sower. We ask that you will teach us to be good ground. While we're in this moment of prayer, and it's 10 past 10, and I'd like to end now, but I do feel I need to ask this question because I put it to you during the conversation, and it would be, it would be a failure of my part as a, as, a, as a preacher not to ask that maybe you've looked at the faith, but you haven't bought into it. You haven't made the crossing of the line moment of going, this thing needs to go from something I think looks lovely to something I'm in, I need to put in my heart. I need to hide it in my heart and I need to get it going. I feel like I owe you an opportunity to respond to that. And so with everybody's eyes closed, just for the privacy of the person around you, I just want to ask you if you need to make that transition from observation to action, from, from information, um, information to, to personal a revelation. If that's where you're at, I'd love for you to just indicate by raising your hand and I'm going to pray over us all, but especially for you. So what you're doing is you're going from being an observer to a follower. You're going from being a considerer of the faith to being a, a Christ-like follower. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for raising it. Thank you over there. One, two, and three. And I, and I do see the guys over here on, on my left. And over there at the back. I wonder, if, could, we, could we, the whole house, just pray a little prayer together? Just a sentence or two, and I'll wrap it up with a reinforcing prayer. Would you please follow after me out loud, but especially if you raise your hands. Here's the prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for showing me a better way. My ways are sinful and insufficient. I accept you and your ways. Come into my heart. Be Lord and Saviour 
I will be follower in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, will you seal that into our hearts as we seek after you in the weeks ahead? In Jesus' name. And everybody said, would you please celebrate with me those who prayed the prayer and our morning together. Please don't rush off. There are people up front to pray for you personally. If you prayed that prayer and want to let us know, come grab a free Bible and let us know. Otherwise, have communion or coffee. God bless you.